Hello everyone, welcome to our online church service. We believe that you are still well and kept by the grace of the Lord. To those who are joining us for the first time, we say a very warm welcome. Can you please click on the welcome card and fill in your details so that we can be able to connect with you. And we would like to encourage everyone to subscribe to our YouTube and Facebook links. Today, for the word of encouragement, I would love us to read Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. It reads as follows. Then I remembered something that fills me with hope. When we read the whole chapter of Lamentations chapter 3, the first verses before verse 21, we find the prophet Jeremiah, you know, busy complaining, lamenting and crying before the Lord, that the Lord had forsaken him, that he was faced with so many calamities. And I believe that all of us, at some point in our lives, actually many times that we would we'll love to, we find ourselves in such a situation where we feel like God has abandoned us. When we look all around us, we see that nothing is going right. Actually, it feels like everything is going wrong at the same time. But I love what he says in verse 21 when he says, Then I remembered something that fills me with hope. And the following verses he said, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. If it had not been of the Lord, we would have been consumed. I just want to encourage you, children of God, that it is good that when we are faced with difficult times, we remember the good things that the Lord has done for us. Uh, the psalm is in Psalm 103, verse 2, actually the whole of Psalm 103. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. The part that I love, he says, forget not all his benefits. And he begins to list all the benefits that the Lord has done for him. What I want to encourage us is that let us choose to remember the good things that the Lord has done for us. Because yes, we face difficult times in our lives. But when we remember what the Lord has done for us in yesteryears or in previous days, we get to be filled with hope. We get to remember that the God that we serve is a loving God, is a loving Father. We get to remember that God took us through difficult times. And if he could do it in previous times, he will do it for us even today. When David and the Israelites were faced with the giant Goliath, I love what David said to Saul. He said, the God who saved me from the bear and the lion, he's going to save me from the Philistine today. So I want to encourage you that the God who saved you from what you went through yesterday is the same God who will save you today. You did not drown. You did not die. You are still alive. And what you're going through, you are still going to come out victorious. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, in the precious and mighty name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord God Almighty, we want to thank you because, Lord, you are God in the heavens and God in the earth. You are God who is always there for us. Your word teaches us that, Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you, are the, you never change, O oh God. You remain God at all times. This wonderful day, O oh Father, we want to thank you for reminding us that, God, we always need to remember what you have done for us. 
And indeed, Lord, we remember where you took us from. Father God, we thank you in the name of Jesus because we know that once we were dead, but now we are alive. Once we were lost, but Father God, now we are found. We thank you, Father God, for taking us through the storms. We thank you, Father, for sustaining us, O oh God, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for healing our diseases. We thank you, Lord, for supplying for all of our needs. And even this day, we say, Lord, Ebenezer, you have been good unto us. In the name of Jesus, just like the psalmist says that, God, if we were to recall or to recount all that you have done for us, we will never be able to say everything. We thank you, Father. May your name be praised. May your name be glorified in the mighty name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. At this point, we are going to enjoy a moment of worship through song. And after the worship, we are going to welcome Sister Linda, who will be giving us the offering message. Be blessed in the presence of the Lord.
good day. I hope we are all well. Today I'm going to be encouraging us uh, about giving. I'm going to uh, have the scripture reading from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, verse 4. It reads, He who observes the wind and wait for all conditions to be favorable will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Uh, other versions uh, say, if you wait for a perfect condition, you will never get anything done. So today I want to encourage us as we give that we are in partnership with Christ. Giving is an act of trust. It's also an act of worship and an act of believing God. So we are not supposed to be looking at the current situation. We can't be deterred from giving because we are looking at maybe the situation of coronavirus. We are saying we can't give because now the situation is bad. You're also saying I can't give because I don't have a, a lot of money. You're also saying I can't give because I was uh, retrenched from work. You are also looking at your situation to say, I can't give because I'm sick. You are also looking at a number of things to say, I can't give. That is uh, regarding the clouds. If you are looking at the clouds, you will never give. So the best thing to do is to act on faith. Take a step of faith and give now. Now is the time to give. Because God is our source, we are not supposed to look at the current situation. Our jobs are not our sources. Our source is God, and he's our only source. So we must be encouraged today as we give. Okay, let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. Father, thank you that you are the giver of the seed, O oh Lord. Father, even this morning we ask you, Almighty God, to bless each and everyone who's going to give, Lord. Father, we know that you are a God who gives abundantly. You gave us your son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you, Almighty God, even for giving us everything because the world as it is, it is yours, O oh God. Father, thank you that we cannot lack anything good because we are in your hands, Lord. We give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, my name is Ankonisa Magwarera and I'm going to be your newsreader for today. Anyone interested in joining the worship team or wanting to learn to play a musical instrument can send us a WhatsApp message to the number that appears on the screen. If you are a young adult, come through to the church on Tuesday at 6pm and refreshments will be provided. Every Tuesday from 5 to 6am, we have dawn prayers on WhatsApp. If you would like to start your day with us through prayer, send us a WhatsApp to the number on the screen to be added to our WhatsApp Dawn Prayer group. Every Wednesday from 6 to 7 p.m., we have our in-person prayer gathering. There's no need to pre-book, just come along and everyone is welcome. Designed is currently on pause due to the school holidays, but it will resume again on the 15th of October. We can't wait to see designers again soon. 
Men of Destiny Conference is happening on Saturday, the 23rd of October, 2021, from 9.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. at Cornerstone Church. Pastor Odu Rashavambela, as the guest speaker, will be encouraging us around the theme, Take Charge, Part the Waters, from Exodus chapter 14, verse 16. See you there. On the 17th of October, we will be visited by Mr. Martin Mashaba, who will be bringing us the word of God. Let us plan to be here. On the 24th of October, there will be a special service where the new church elders will be ordained. We look forward to seeing you there. Please remember to pre-book in order to attend our Sunday physical gatherings. You will find the links on events.peopleschurchplk.org. That's events.peopleschurchplk.org. May we please welcome the preacher of the day, Pastor Monditele. Be blessed as we receive straight from heaven. Enjoy. Thank you very much, Sis Philippine. Good morning, or good day, or good afternoon, depending on when you are watching this. And as always, it's always such an honor and a privilege to be able to bring God's word. And before we go any further, let us just prepare our hearts by dedicating this time to God in prayer. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for yet another opportunity to come under the teaching of your word. We pray, Father, that you may help us, Lord, that we may hear, that we may receive everything that you have for us today. And we pray that you help us to be able to apply it in our lives so that our lives may be transformed to be more like the life of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You know, next month, uh, my wife and myself are going to be celebrating three years of marriage. And as we look back on the last two years and a couple of months, we just are filled with gratitude for God uh, because he's just been so good and so faithful in our lives, and he has kept us. And so, from time to time, one of the things that I thought about and remembered as we, as we are busy thinking about the last couple of years of marriage, from time to time, there are times when I would do something, something that perhaps my wife does not understand. And then she would respond by saying, I can't believe you. Or as she famously says, this changes everything. And so this morning, I'd like to borrow from her as I've titled the, this message, This Changes Everything everything. And there's a, a trend of videos. I'm not sure if you've seen it. There's a trend of videos that is uh, prevalent, especially on YouTube. And these, these are videos of people who take it upon themselves to tell us how we have been doing something wrong all of our lives. You know, they tell us something that they hope changes everything in our lives. And, and sometimes, you know, uh, the sense that I get is maybe, you know, they are trying a little bit too hard to convince us, but some other times we find something that is truly revolutionary, tr something that is uh, truly mind-blowing, and it changes how you and I do something that we have been doing in a particular way for the rest of our lives. And I've prepared just a few of the good ones for you today, and I'm hoping that they help you. Uh, the first one, you know, there are toilets, I'm not sure if you've seen them, there are toilets that have a circle, uh, a circle button or, or a round button at the top that you use to flush. And if you've noticed, that button uh, has two partitions, has two parts to it. 
The one part is a little bit smaller than the other. I'm not sure if you knew that pressing the one that is small, you know, obviously most of us, when you are done, some people even press both of them at the same time, and it looks a little bit weird. But if you press the smaller one, the smaller section of the button, it actually releases a half a flash, and that is used uh, to flush down your pee after you're done. And pressing the larger side of the button releases a full flush, and that is used to flush your solids. So maybe you did not know that. And then the other one, uh, uh, most of us have uh, phones, and on the, f the phone comes with earphones. And then those earphones have a controller somewhere uh, on the cord of the earphones. And there are two buttons that are there, are volume controllers, to increase the volume, to decrease the volume. And then there's a third button that is between those two volume controllers. And so uh, on the iPhone, I'm not sure if uh, we knew that the button in the middle has a number of preset settings that we can use uh, to control our phones using that button. The first one, if you just press that button, uh, one quick press, uh, we can pause music, we can accept calls, or we can hang up if you're on a phone call. If you do two quick presses on that button, uh, it can skip a song. If you're listening to uh, music, it skips to the next song. And if you do three quick taps or three quick presses of that button, it actually goes back to the previous song if you're listening to music. And one long press, if you, if you press and hold, uh, it activates Siri. And then here's another one. Uh, we've all opened a can of soda, as they call it in America, a can of cool drink. How many of you knew that the tab or the tag that you use to open the cool drink that is at the top uh, is actually also a straw holder? And this is obviously to uh, avoid that silly face that we all make as we are trying to grab the straw with our, with our tongue and as the straw is going all over the place. And so that tag can actually be used as a straw holder. Here's another one. Uh, how many of us have ever driven another person's car? And everything is all fun and well until we have to fill it up with petrol. And you are getting ready to pull up at the petrol station. And then you begin to panic as you realize that you actually don't know where the petrol tank is located. Is it on the right? Is it on the left? Uh, because that determines where you go to fill up the petrol. Well, there's a very easy trick for that. And you can see, you know, the location of the petrol tank on the car by just looking at the arrow on the petrol icon that is located uh, next to the fuel indicator on your dashboard. And so there's a little icon. If that icon has an arrow that is pointing to the left, then the petrol tank is located on the left side of the car and vice versa. And then let me give you one last one. And then, um, have you ever been driving in a car and you've got all your windows closed, all the windows up and you are driving, and then you suddenly realize that the windscreen of the car begins to fog up? And in those particular situations, obviously, we know what to do. You just simply open the windows uh, to let the, the air in, and then it's going to uh, eliminate the problem. Or you can blow in cold air from the air conditioner of the car, and that also eliminates the problem. Well, the problem, you know, arises when we are driving and it's cold outside. Well, what do you do? The car begins to fog up. It is cold outside. What do you do? Many of us just assume, of course, you roll down the windows, get the cold air in, or you blow in cold air from your aircon. 
But the thing about it is that, uh, which I didn't know, but I found out at some point, is that blowing in hot air from the aircon actually does the same trick. Because all the, it needs to remove the, the fog on the windscreen is just dry air. And regardless of whether it's cold or whether it's hot. So blowing in hot air from your air conditioner when it's cold uh, actually does the same trick. And so now we don't have to choose between freezing to death in order to clear the fog from our windscreen or carrying a cloth and just wiping the windscreen every three seconds when the fog comes in. And now here's the thing, that as revolutionary as some of these are, they do not even come close and they are not even worth comparing to the truth that I am about to share with you today. And so if you have your Bible, let us quickly turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll read from verse 12 to verse 22. And so while you are turning there, some two Sunday, Saturdays ago, uh, we actually conducted a funeral uh, of one of the members here at church. And so some of us are still thinking about the effects of death and the fickle nature of life here on earth. And so uh, to the family, we are still with you. We are praying, you know, for you that God strengthens you as you go through this difficult time. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is also a passage of scripture that is used a lot in funerals. And I touched on it as well two weeks ago. So this is what Paul says. He says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he has raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in, in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Very fascinating uh, portion of scripture. And we just looked uh, very briefly on the context. And so basically Corinth, the city, was a leading city in the, in the region that it was located in. It was uh, located in the province of Achaia, which is in Asia. And so it was one of the leading cities uh, in that entire region. And Paul had established the church there during his second missionary journey. And so as he was going around, you know, that particular region of the world, planting churches, he also came to Corinth and he started the church there. And then when he moved on from there to plant other churches in other places, problems started to creep in in the church at Corinth. And Paul felt responsible for the believers that were there in Corinth. And so he wrote this letter to address some of the problems and the issues that were taking place and happening in the church. And one of the problems was that false teachers had come into the church and they were teaching them that uh, there is no resurrection of the dead. And some of the believers in Corinth had started believing this lie that there is no resurrection 
of the dead. And so Paul addresses this false teaching by taking it to its logical conclusion and just trying to show them just how absurd uh, this teaching is and believing this as a believer actually is. And he shows them just how foolish it is uh, to, to be a believer and hold on to the teaching that there is no resurrection of the dead. And so he starts by exploring what it means what it would mean if the dead indeed are not raised. And so he says, if the dead are not raised, then there are two implications uh, if the dead are not raised. First of all, he says, it, it means that Christ himself has also not been raised. Because if the dead are not raised, then it is impossible. It, it, it is impossible for Christ to have been raised from the dead because he was a man as well. And he continues down that same logic, down that same thinking. And he says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Then our preaching is a waste of time if Christ indeed has not been raised. He continues, he says, even your faith, because you have believed in Christ Jesus, your faith is in vain. Your faith means absolutely nothing if Christ has not been raised from the dead. And, and the logical conclusion is that there is no salvation if Christ has not been raised from the dead. You are still in your sins. There is no forgiveness of sins. Uh, there is no uh, salvation if Christ has not been raised from the dead. But that's because the resurrection of Jesus is the linchpin of all of Christianity and the Christian faith. Christianity hangs upon the resurrection, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And everything boils down to whether Jesus was raised from the dead or not. And in fact, there's so many people uh, that have uh, tried to disprove the resurrection of Jesus because they understood that if you could disprove the resurrection of Jesus, then you have unraveled the whole of Christianity. You have uh, disproved the whole of the Christian faith. The second implication uh, that the, if the dead are not raised, the second impl implication is that life itself is quite meaningless, that there is no point, there is no meaning to life. Because think about it, uh, some people live until they are old, and some people die while they are young. Uh, the good people suffer, while the evil people seem to be having a good time all the time. Some are born rich, while others remain poor the rest of their lives. There is this random distribution of gifts and talents, you know, and opportunities uh, to people that are uh, are born and live here on earth. And so we all live for an arbitrary number of years and then we are, we, we are dead and then that's all there is to it. And so if there is no resurrection of the dead, life itself is pointless. There is no point. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. There is no design. There is no destination. There's no point to life itself. Indeed, if life is all there is to it, then we might as well, you know, we might as well be as selfish as we can. We might as well be as stingy as we can and, and hoard all the resources to ourselves as much as we can. We might as well live lives that are dedicated to the pursuit of pleasure, you know, against everything else. We might as well, I might as well con as many people as I can out of their money if this life is all there is to it. You know, uh, no one, nothing stops a person from having extramarital affairs if this life is all there is to it. 
as Paul continues to say also in verse 32 of this same chapter. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If the dead are not raised, if this life is all there is to it, then hey, let us just go wild. Let us enjoy life as much as we can. Let us drink as much alcohol as we can. Let us eat as much food as we can. Travel as much as we can because tomorrow we die. This is the end of it. This is all there is to it. And so in the absence of the afterlife, then this life becomes all about maximizing my own happiness, even if it means, you know, um, uh, putting your life in danger or making you unhappy. Life is about making me happy, as happy as I can. Life is about maximizing my own happiness, even to the detriment of that of others. This is what it means. This is the logical conclusion of this kind of lifestyle, this kind of thinking, and this kind of uh, teaching that the, 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 the believers in Corinth had started adopting. In fact, there's a writer in the Psalms, Psalms uh, the writer of Psalm chapter 73, he also seriously struggled with the same thing. I would encourage you, go and read Psalm chapter 73 from beginning to end. I'll just take a couple of portions from Psalm chapter 73 to illustrate the same point. And so he starts by saying this, Psalm chapter 73, It says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the common, from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limit. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. And so he questioned himself, why is it that the corrupts get away with corruption while the diligent are struggling all the time? Why is it that the rich are always, um, are, are always innocent until their money runs out? Why is it that you know, justice does not apply equally to the rich and the poor? Why do some criminals get away with their, with their crimes? Why is it that sinners are, are having a good time all the time you know, while some... Who are, uh, who are living a pure life uh, seem to be full of uh, 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 suffering in their lives. They, they, you know, there's no end. He says, each and every day brings new punishments as we're going to continue to read. Why is it that those who don't want children are able to conceive while those who do not want children, you know, they find it difficult to conceive? If this life is all there is, then none of this actually makes sense. None of these questions can be answered in any meaningful way. If the dead are not raised, if the dead are not raised, it is basically survival of the fittest. You know, kill or be killed, eat or be eaten. You know, it is a dog-eat-dog world if the dead are not raised. 
And so if this is all there is to it, then the following is a pretty logical conclusion. And so he says this in chapter, in chapter 73, verse 13 to 17. He says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I have spoken out like this, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. I don't know if you can feel the emotion, the pain, the anguish that is within his heart. He says, if the dead are not raised, then I was wasting my time by trying to keep myself pure. I was wasting my time by trying to live a life that is full of morals, that is full of principles, because uh, all that this does is that it brings me affliction and more sorrow. When I tried to understand it, it troubled me deeply. But then he continues in verse 17 to say this. He says, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their destiny. Until I entered into the sanctuary of God, until I started engaging with, with the scriptures, then I understood their destiny. And that's a very interesting thing because I believe what happened is that he began to realize that indeed this life is not all there is to it. And, and you know, if you've read the Word of God, it's very interesting because what the Word of God normally does is that it does not change what is happening around us. All it does is that it changes the lens through which we see and interpret everything that is happening around us. And that basically changes everything. You know, Jesus once said this, he says, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The word of God is the truth. And when we engage with it, our perspective changes the lens through which we see the world and we interpret the events that happen in our lives. That's the thing that changes. And once our perspective changes, we experience a level of freedom that we have never knew it existed before. And so after the psalmist's perspective was corrected, when he understood that this life is not all there is to it, he makes this radically different conclusion. This is now in verse 27 and 28. This is his final conclusion. After his perspective has been changed, he says, Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. It says, as for me, it is good to be near God. It is enough to have God in my life. Even if God is all I have, then I have more than I need. But the reality is that none of his uh, uh, material circumstance changed. What changed? It is his perspective. It is the lens through which he, he interprets everything that is happening around him. And he was able to conclude that regardless, even if I don't get rich, even if I don't have a good time all the time in this life, it is good for me to have God. It is good and it, it is enough for me to have God in my life. But then Paul turns to the flip side of this, uh, of this argument. He was still pursuing uh, the rabbit hole of if the dead are not raised. And then now he turns to the other side of the coin. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised, has been raised and this changes everything. This is the truth that changes absolutely everything in our lives. 
And it starts by looking at the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus in the gospel message itself. That without uh, Christ's bodily resurrection, we have no gospel. There is no good news without the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have no gospel, then our preaching is useless, your faith is useless, and you are still in your sins. And then he says, in fact, you know, in fact, uh, Jesus has been raised uh, uh, from the dead. And the, the reality of those words is that this is not wishful thinking. It is a historically verifiable fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. In verse 5 to verse 8 of this same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 to 8, he gives a gospel presentation. And here, he, he wants to prove that Jesus indeed has been raised from the dead. Listen to what he says. He says, he, referring to Jesus, he says, he, he appeared to Cephas or to Peter or to Cephas, uh, you know, if you pronounce it that way. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. The historical event of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is attested to by more than 500 eyewitnesses. Think about that for a moment. Is there another event, you know, that has that many eyewitnesses attesting to, the, uh, to, the, to, to that event being true? And he further says that, in fact, if you wanted to check these things, most of the people that I'm talking about are actually still alive. Although some have fallen asleep, but most of them are still alive. You can go and ask them and check these things out for yourself. And so basically, Paul wants us to know without a shadow of a doubt that the resurrection is based upon the most irrefutable evidence possible. And that is the eyewitness testimony of over 500 people on various occasions and over a period of time. Luke, who also recorded the events uh, that took place and wanted to put together an orderly account of the things that took place, he, he basically and simply said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He says, after his suffering, after Jesus' suffering, the crucifixion, you know, and him uh, being buried in the tomb, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. It wasn't just one proof. It wasn't just uh, a proof. It was many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is a historically verifiable fact that has more than 500 eyewitness testimonies that testify of the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead in a bodily fashion. And so what this all boils down to, what this all means is that the dead will also be raised. Those who are dead will also rise again. And it says, Paul says, Jesus is the first fruit of all those who have fallen asleep. Basically meaning that since Jesus has been raised from the dead, then they too, everyone who falls asleep, will also be raised from the dead. And, and, and then here in Acts chapter 17, verse 30 to 31, it says this. It says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. 
But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so the scriptures teach us that each and every person who is alive, when they die, after they die, they will, raise, they will rise again back to life. But what is going to happen is that after that, then there's going to be judgment. And then based on that judgment, it will determine which kind of life you're going to live on the afterlife. You know, after that judgment, some people are going to live, you know, are going to inherit eternal life. But some people are going to go into eternal punishment or eternal damnation. And so the reality is, it is this, that if the dead are not raised, then nothing else matters. But if the dead are raised, then nothing matters more. Nothing else matters more. Everything has brand new significance. And so right now, I'd like to leave you with just a few implications or applications of this kind of message or of this truth in our lives. This is my fundamental belief that the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead is the only thing that helps us to be able to cope with the ups and downs of life. I don't think there is anything that is able to help us to cope with the ups and downs of life more than the same doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Think about losing a loved one. Outside of the resurrection of the dead, how do we comfort the bereaved? It is only because the dead are raised that we have hope that even in the most painful times, such as losing a loved one, because we know that if they died in the Lord, we will surely see them again. That is the hope that the resurrection of the dead gives to a person who is grieving, gives to those that are struggling uh, through the pain of losing a loved one. It tells us, it assures us that if they died in Christ, we will surely see them again. This life is not all there is to it. There is more on the afterlife. Think about suffering for a moment. Perhaps your life here on earth is filled with suffering and pain. If the dead are not raised, you know, it is all for nothing. All that pain, all those tears, all the suffering is for absolutely nothing. It happens randomly. There is no meaning. There is no purpose to it. But if the dead are raised, then we can take comfort in the fact that your suffering and my suffering will not last forever. It is only for this life. And then we will enter into eternal life where the Bible assures us that there will be no suffering. There will be no crying. There will be no pain. And Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I'm not sure if you are hearing the words that Paul is using here. He says, though we are going through struggles and suffering, on the outside we are wasting away, but on the inside we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen 
is eternal. This is the hope that the doctrine of the, of the resurrection of the dead gives to a person who is struggling with suffering. It tells us that our, this suffering will not last forever. It is light in comparison to the glory that is going to be re, uh, re, uh, revealed on the other side. Think about rejoicing, the other side of the coin. If you are rejoicing, having a good time, perhaps you are, you, are, you are living a life, you know, that is full of success with really very little suffering. If the dead are not raised, then you are one of the fortunate ones. Good for you. You know, you're one of the lucky ones. But if the dead are raised, then you, you bless God. You thank God for the blessings in your life. But you also take care how you live because the kind of life you, will, you live here on earth has eternal consequences. You take a think about the rich man and Lazarus. I'm not going to go into it because of time. But think about the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man was living a good life here on earth, but on the afterlife, he was tormented. You know, and, and Lazarus was living a very difficult and painful life here on earth, but on the afterlife, he was the one who was comforted. And so you take care how you live. If you are living a good time right now, if God has blessed you, you thank him, but at the same time, you take care how you live because the life that you are living here on earth has consequences upon the afterlife. And then think about the YOLO philosophy. YOLO took the world by storm, you know, a couple of years ago. The, the, the philosophy that you only live once, you only have one life. So go out, you know, make a splash. Do, you know, do everything that you want to do. Why? Because you only live once. That is what YOLO means. That's that same whole philosophy. And you may be a young person right now, and you are living wild, and you are living free. You don't have any care in the world. If the dead are not raised, then it doesn't really matter how you live. But if the dead are raised, it means YOLO is actually completely wrong, because you and I don't only live once, actually. You know, we don't only live once here on earth, but there is an afterlife. There is life after this life. And the kind of life that we will live on the other side of the grave is dependent upon the one that we live on this side of the grave. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says this. This is Paul again. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or whether bad. And so, for believers, regardless of how bad things get, here on earth, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead give us something to hold on to and something to look forward to because it assures us that things are not going to stay this way forever, that things will get better. It may be in this life, but certainly in the life to come, things will get better. But for the unbeliever, however, you know, however, regardless, uh, regardless of how bad things get here on earth, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead assures the unbeliever that things will certainly get worse. That, you know, you will die and then you will be raised from the dead and then judgment will take place. And based upon that judgment, you will go into that eternal punishment, that place that we call hell that has been reserved for those that are not believers, for those that have not placed their faith upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the good news is today that you and I can spare ourselves of all that torment, that the door is still open for us to also accept 
the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, that door will not stay open forever. However, that time will run out and that door and the opportunity will pass away. We will, there will come a time when we will not be able to place our faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and spare ourselves of all the torment that will take place on the afterlife. As I conclude, you may be here and you have never placed your faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not know what would happen if you die today. You do not know where you would go. The good news is the door is still open and right now the opportunity is still there for you to be able to accept Jesus into your life, for you to be able to place your faith in the finished work in what Jesus has done for you on the cross to have your sins forgiven because of what Jesus did. And so if you would like to take that step, it only starts with a prayer. The prayer is not all there is to it. It just starts with a prayer. But this is a journey that you will be on for the rest of your life. And if you are here, it will be my honor and privilege to lead you in this prayer. And if you are ready, you can just say, Jesus. And some people say, if you are out there somewhere, if you exist, and I don't think, you know, God is offended by that. You can say, Jesus, if you exist, please save me. I would like to give my life into your hands. Please save me and forgive my sins and make me yours forever. In Jesus' name, amen. It begins with a simple prayer like that. But this is a journey that will take you the rest of your life. If you have placed your faith, if this is the decision that you have just taken, we would love to know about it. But more than that, we'd love to come alongside you and to help you to be able to live this life and to walk this journey well. So if you are that person, definitely send us a WhatsApp message. There's a number of the, on the screen. And if you are listening, the number is 66 026-0170. You send us a WhatsApp to that number, 066-026-0170. Let me just pray as we conclude our time here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this truth that changes absolutely everything, that the dead indeed are raised, that this life is not all there is to it. I pray for us, Father God, that are already believers, that you help us to live in a way that we will not be ashamed when you come again to collect those that belong to you. That we live in a way, Father God, that we will be looking forward with anticipation to your second coming. For those that are not believers, I pray that you continue to convince them of the, of the truth of the gospel, that you convict their hearts, Father God, and help them to be able to cross over that line of faith. Father, we lift, you all the, we lift your name up. We give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' mighty name, now and forevermore. Amen and amen.